The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. And, uh... Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kwame. Absolutely delighted to be here. Yes, we are delighted to have you, my friend. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thanks, Kwame. Well, um, first of all, again, thanks for having me on. Um, as I was saying to you just a minute or two ago, you know, I've been using your podcast to tell a lot of my students to go go listen to this podcast if you want to hear some of the, the most influential people in our field. So um, so just to say that up front, you know, so thank you, man. Um Myself, um, my name's Andy Young, and I have um, been involved in conflict resolution, negotiation, mediation, one shape or form or other for about uh, 20 years. I'm currently uh, the managing director of Mediation Northern Ireland, and I've, uh, I kind of joke with people, I'm a recovering mechanical engineer. That was my, uh, that was my original degree, um, but I got involved um, in, in this work um, early as a teenager. And, and maybe I can tell you a little bit about that as well, of why I do what I do, I guess, you know, so th that's me. This is great. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've been excited to have you on the show for months now. Thank you for your patience <laughs> <laughs> when it came to scheduling. And uh, you have such an interesting background because you have the negotiation background, you have the mediation background, but then also where you're from, Northern Ireland, Ireland. And I feel like people don't fully appreciate the conflict that was happening in that area of the world. And so can you start off by telling us a little bit about that story and how that impacted your journey? Yeah, absolutely, Kwame. Um, I suppose my own journey started when uh, when I was a teenager. I was about 16 or 17 years old, and um, I got involved in what we would call cross-community work then. Um, you know, largely, I mean, bluntly speaking between you know people who would identify as catholic and people who identify as, as from a protestant background um for myself you know in, in the context you know we had our good friday belfast peace agreement you know in 1998 but before that we'd lost about three and a half thousand people um and with injuries of over fifty thousand people had been injured during our conflict or our troubles um and this month in particular is the 35th uh, anniversary of one particular bomb um uh, by the ira in enniskillen and that particular bomb, you know, I guess my connection with it was 
in that bomb at the time, um, um, two particular individuals were caught up on it, um, one called Gordon Wilson and his daughter Marie. And um, when the bomb went off, um, they buried both of those individuals in the rubble. And um, Marie was buried uh, in the rubble with her father, Gordon. And her last words that he had heard her say at the time were, Daddy, I love you very much, um, before um, um, she passed. And what was famous at the time was Gordon was then filmed by the BBC and, um, you know, how horrific a circumstance that was. He said at the, at the time, I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her uh, back to life. You know, and at that time, you know, you know, that, that time, you know, I was 25 years of violence, you know, it had a huge impact, in term, particularly emotionally. And it became known that, you know, by what Gordon said at the time, you know, really did stop retaliations at that moment in time, you know, for that particular bombing. Um, from his, um, I guess, that act of reconciliation or act of, um, you know, I don't know, not forgiveness, but what he said and how he said it, then an organization grew out of that and he set up called the Spirit of Inniskill. And um, and that organization, basically every year, 50 young people went away. Each group had 10 people, five girls, five boys, five Catholics, five Protestants. And you went on an eight-month program. And I was one of those people who went away on that program. I um, I ended up, um, we, we ended up being in Maine, Penobscot, in a job corps for a few weeks. Um, ended up, um, you know, learning the basics of facilitation, conflict resolution, conflict analysis, and things like that. Um, and during that program, when we came home, uh, one day, this, this two, two people came into the organization and did a one-day training session of mediation. And I remember, I must have been 17 at the time, and I remember just going, wow, what is that? And how do I do that for the rest of my life, right? So so, so I, I did my engineering, got my degree, and, and, and kind of went back and switched from mechanical engineering to um, my master's was in theory, culture, and identity, really focused on conflict transformation. Um, so, so that was a bit of a shock to the system, but, but, but again, it's what I say to a lot of people when I'm coaching them as well, I mean, it's like, regardless of how I think difficult it was, you got to uh, follow that bit of fire in your belly, right? You know, why do you do what you do? And I kind of reflect now down the line, I'm glad I made that choice because it defined me, right? You know, and, um, it is that thing that gives me passion. You know, and it's, 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 you know, the whole Simon Sinek of the why, right? You know, that, 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 that's my kind of purpose, I think, you know. Um, so, so because of that, then I've been lucky to have done an awful lot of work, um, nationally, internationally, um, lecturing, training, working with everyone, some of the world's major companies in Dubai, Malaysia, uh, working a lot with the World Health Organization, uh, lecturing at Queen's University, Belfast, and I now currently, um, am the manager director of of Mediation Northern Ireland. Come back to that. Uh, it was that organization which trained me 20 years ago. And and I'm now, I guess, um, um, trying to see what they do over the next 25 years, right? Wow. That is incredible. Just kudos to you. It's an incredible story. And your your perseverance and focus in this is, is really inspiring. And then also for me, it, it's cool to see that there's so many people around the world having the same kind of awakening, like how you went through that program and you said, mediation, what is that? I want all of that. I want that in my <laughs> life. Right. And yeah. so for me, it was negotiation and conflict resolution. It's like, how do I, how do I make that happen? So it's really cool to see you matriculating and like growing in this and then helping spread this message throughout the world. So kudos to you on that. 
Thanks, Kwame. And, and, you know, I listened to your podcast and you see it was the world of mediation that got me into negotiation, right? Um, and, and I love that idea of the fundamental basics underneath it. Because for me, regardless of where you are in the world, people are people. Hurt is hurt, harm is harm. You know, the, the cultural nuance changes, the lens changes, right? The amount of money might change. But the fundamental belief, and that's what I've seen wherever I've worked, is the fundamental thing that makes us us remains the same. Um, and 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 it's the unpacking of that that becomes really interesting. Yes. Well, let's start unpacking it. <laughs> let's begin this interesting <laughs> journey. This is great. Let's let's start. So, one of the things that you talked about was the intersection between negotiation and mediation. Tell mm. us more about that. Um. Again, it goes back to the idea of um, and, and I well, I maybe even coaching sometimes into that as well a little bit, right? Um, but maybe I'll come back to that. I think that that idea of how do we strive for alternative dispute resolution mechanisms? What are the other ways of dealing with conflict outside of of violence, right? Outside of the more destructive elements. Um, and for me, the, the relationships and the skill sets between negotiation and mediation are, are the same, right? I mean, the stuff that a, a lot of your, your your speakers and a lot of your listeners will be very au fait with, how do we listen? How do we paraphrase? How do we summarize? How do we focus on dialogue and not just debate and all of those elements? So I think there's a fundamental you know, connection there. I think then when you when you look at the similarity between, for example, mediation and coaching, and um, which I think, which for me, a lot of these sit within that same spectrum, the belief that the person in front of you has the answer, right? You know, and and as a mediator, that's what we're here to to tease out, to find, um, and the belief is I'm not there to fix it; I'm there to help them find their way to their solution. And the same with coaching, executive coaching, right? And ironically, you know, the, the people who I've seen struggle sometimes the most when I'm training professional mediators, for example, are sometimes professional negotiators, right? Um, and 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 far, part of that for me is quite often I see really highly skilled professional negotiators who are brilliant at what they do, super experienced, but they're fixers, right? They're people who are good at fixing and have been trained to fix maybe naturally inclined that way. And then when I'm training in mediation, normally gets, you know, day two, day three in a five-day program. And sometimes they're really struggling. And they're struggling to take that step back because they're they're still in fixing mode. And actually the idea that, you know, it's not your conflict, therefore it shouldn't be your solution, can be quite challenging to people who just want to fix. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more, and we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. 
Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. There is so much to dig into here. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's go deeper. When somebody wants to fix, let's say it might be somebody who has negotiation background, whatever it happens to be, they want to fix. What is it within themselves that they need to change in order to adopt a better mindset to be a better mediator? Oh, I love that question. Um, I think it comes down to being able to let go, right? That, I mean, it's that maxim. It's not your conflict, therefore, it's not your solution. And sometimes, it, you know, it's one of those moments in training where, where you're just waiting for something to click, you know? And I see this, you know, training professional coaches as well. And I think for me, it comes down to the intention behind the action. Are you doing it for you or are you doing it for them? Um, also, um, this idea that um, if, I mean, I mean, let's, let's take it from a very practical standpoint. If you are the, the, the negotiator who's now working in a mediation capacity and you see the solution, you feel the solution, and then you give the solution, yeah, again, it might make you feel good, right? It gives you that, you know, dopamine hit and all of that stuff. And it might work. It might work in the short term. But I guarantee you this, if you go back in the long term, you've removed ownership over that solution, right? And it's now your solution, which might work on paper, but how how much real emotional investment do those individuals have who've, who've been in that room with you? And particularly then if you're dealing with different power constructs, right? People will say yes if they know that, you know, you know, their boss needs them to say yes, for example, right? Or in a community setting, there may be other pressures there, for example. So who are you doing it for? And are you sure? Oh, man. Again, listen, and uh, I need you to stop giving answers that are so profound, because I have so many different angles <laughs> that I want to go with my follow-up questions. Okay. So let, let's, let's, <laughs> this is so good. Okay. So I love the fact that we, you're asking that, that grounding question, are you doing it for you or doing it for them? Cause I know there've been times in my life where I realized, why am I pushing so hard? What is this? Oh, this is about me because I, as a negotiator, sometimes we have that deal-making bias and then yeah, we definitely. make it about ourselves by saying, listen, if I'm a good negotiator, I can get this done. And it becomes yeah. very problematic, especially in your personal life, because now you're removing somebody's autonomy and agency yeah. and they feel like you're being, you're forcing them. And it reminds me of one of the things, uh, a saying somebody brought up in one of the trainings and I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm going to put this in every training going, going forward. Um, collaboration builds commitment. 
Collaboration builds commitment. If they feel as though they can look at the deal and see some of themselves in the deal, they can look back and remember the process and see that they contributed to it. Now they're bought in because it's not your deal. It's my deal. And I want this to succeed. And so we have to be able to remove ourselves, not just by recognizing, hey, my ego is now getting in the way. But also we realize that even if I let my ego get in the way and I do get a deal done, it's good for me, but it's not good for them because the deal, what we want are are lasting deals where people are bought in. That's really, really important. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, the ways that we can help negate that are, you know, having good professional supervision as a mediator, for example, can help that. Having that, you know, sounding board outside of the system and the process that you're currently working on. Um, And the same as, you know, coaches having coaches as well, right? Having someone to work that through, you know? Absolutely. It's, It's critical. It's critical. When... When you are seeing people going through this process, because you've trained an, a countless amount of mediators <laughs> at this yeah. point, what yeah. would you say are the elements that separate the good mediators from the great mediators? Uh, um, I think a, a few things. One, curiosity. Um, the ability to take that step back. Um, you know, emotional maturity sometimes. Um, and the ability to realize that you're not always right and there's always more to learn, I think. And, you know, when you do get those individuals on programs who are clearly, you know, coming from a, you know, maybe previous experience or maybe naturally, you know, inclined towards this work, the idea of going, actually, I do need to do some stuff on myself that um, somebody said to me really, you know, years ago that really defined it really well, a good friend of mine who, who works um, for UCAN in Canada, you know, it's about, you know, in your stuff, you know, uh, your own stuff. And I mean that in a non-patronizing sense, you know, yeah. realizing that, you know, you got to know your own conflict resolution skill, you know, style, sorry, you know, are you more inclined to avoid? Are you, and again, somebody said to me, a mentor from years ago, Marius Stoff said to me, you know, some people who work in this field, and I mean that as negotiation, mediation, conflict resolution in general, sometimes some of us tend to be naturally attracted to conflict. Um, and and we got to be careful with that, you know. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Go Go deeper on that last point. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen... You know, if you've ever tried to get a, a, a group of mediators to agree on something, for example, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> right? You know, or or you're training people in a negotiation room, and I'm particularly experienced negotiators, senior negotiators, and you're trying to you know decide what you're doing, you know, uh, you know for the evening and what restaurant you're going to go out to. Those small nuances, those even those small things become interesting because again, you you have people who who are highly skilled. And depending on where they're on their own professional journey, you know, how, you know, their own levels of self-awareness, their own levels of emotional resilience, you know, uh, their own levels of stress, all of that mix that makes us who we are today, not six years ago when we did our last CPD training course, right? This is great. It, it makes so much sense. And I, I genuinely got a big old kick out of what you said, <laughs> trying to get mediators and negotiators to agree because it's so true. And and I think a lot of times we can't turn it off. 
it's like, hey, okay, we we can't do it. And then it's also it, these interactions turn into ego measuring competitions. Let's call it ego measuring, right? Where it's like, oh, you're a good mediator. Well, I'm a better one. You're a good negotiator. I'm a better one. Oh, we're making a decision on where to go. Let me try to influence that decision just kind of to show off how good I am at this. And then when you bring it to the um, the actual conflicts itself, like the ones that matter, right? So the, the negotiations, the difficult conversations where we're having with somebody else or as, as mediators, where we're trying to f- essentially facilitate an agreement between two parties, a lot of times we start to inject ourselves into the process inappropriately in a way that doesn't serve us, but just serves our ego, right? And it holds us back. Absolutely. And, and I think that ego, you know, I was working with them some really fantastic facilitators in Germany recently. And I just loved how they operated. They were, you know, there's three of us facilitating this, you know, five day sort of conflict resolution, negotiation training. And, and the two of them kept, because we've been working each other for years, kept checking in. I'm really sorry I said that, you know, that was my ego that meant that. And I just love that level of professionalism with which you can use other people to check your own ego and be completely honest. And, and you know, when I'm training negotiating teams as well, it's that idea of going, have you given the other members of your team permission to pull you on your ego um, and particularly if you're the boss <laughs> particularly if you're the lead negotiator right you know and um, um, because quite often it's that idea you know it's the age-old manager you know my door is always open and then you do the 360 assessment not necessarily what the feedback said right <laughs> yep no you're so right and I, t- I think it takes a lot of humility and self-awareness to recognize that and I think one of the things that's really helpful is when you realize that these um, just flaws and mistakes, those type of things, they are not an indication of a lack of worth for you as a professional or a human. It's just an indication of your humanity. And we're just all at the end of the day trying to become better people. And so the faster I can acknowledge that and take it, take the feedback on the chin and say, you know what? And uh, you're right. That was, that was a bad call on my part. And when I look at myself, I think that was purely ego, my bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody elevates because of it. Completely, completely. And, and it is then how, how in what we do, it gives the per- people permission around us to do the same, right? You know, um, big time, you know, and again, it's the, it's the mirroring behaviors. It's all the stuff that we know about. And sometimes it's the stuff that we forget about when we're busy, right? When we're in the flow of the negotiation, when we're in the flow of the mediation, when we're, when we're focused on the process around us, but we're, sometimes, you know, we forget about the, you know, the emotional legacy with which we leave those conversations sometimes as well, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier when you talked about mm. the, the, the skills of great negotiators was the ability to step back and, you know, step back. You can think about it physically. It seems pretty easy. Okay. And I took a step back. Right. But when you say step back, there are several layers to it. So what does that mean to you? I love that. And you know, it's something I've become really interested in over the last few years, particularly when I'm coaching people, doing conflict coaching or, you know, helping people become unstuck. I was coaching someone recently and they were really struggling. I was working with this individual, a senior level manager for a year, you know, um, and, you know, th- it took him about three quarters of the way through the year of coaching. Then I got, I get it now. This is, you know, y- you know, I-, I-, I was able to, you know, take that step back, but, but we did a deep dive. And, you know, I love the work of Yuri and Fisher and we're all familiar with going to the balcony, right? I love that term. Then we unpack that term. What does the term mean? 
you know? So for some people, it's about, you know, seeing each word that's said at that moment in time. And I kind of parallel it with first aid, right? You know, if you're trained as a first responder, you're, you know, you're, yeah, you can walk in and help if there's a crash on their motorway system or the road. But if you don't take a step back, guess what happens? You get hit by the next car and you become part of the problem. And for me, it's exactly the same thing as you going to the balcony. So, you know, so we analyze that when I'm, when I'm coaching people. So what do you do? You know, how do you talk to yourself? You know, and if you're, you know, if you're getting really, really fast, well, then slow how you talk to yourself down. If you're shouting at yourself, guess what? Go softer. If, um, you know, for some people putting the tongue to the roof of their mouth acts as a physical anchor and, you know, switches off those parts of the brain responsible for speech. Other people, as I said, see each individual word. Other people focus on their breathing. Other people twiddle their toes, right, to anchor themselves or anchor points on their thumb and their finger. But fundamentally, I guarantee you this, to your listener or whoever is there, you already do this, right? We, we, we already go to the balcony. And yet, often there are times we do it better than others. And it's, it's that deconstruction of the times we do it better that interests me. So when's the last time you did it really well? And what was the difference between that time and the time where you kind of, you were tired or you were grumpy, you were whatever that might be. And if you can deconstruct that, then you can repeat that. Oh, this is good. Because what I'm realizing as you describe it is that essentially everybody's balcony is different. Yeah. And and so when we describe yeah. it, I, I love that uh, Fisher and Yuri with getting to yes, they described it so well. And then I know that there are some people who who read their work and said, ah, it doesn't really resonate. Well, then yeah. maybe you need to go to a different place, right? So for them, it might be described as a balcony. For me, yeah. as somebody who loves chess, it might be walk to the other side of the table. You know, it's because it, yeah. I, I naturally, if I'm playing in person, I can naturally see feel myself like, okay, I need to stand up. I'm not seeing I'm going to look from a different <laughs> angle, right? And so whatever works for you, you have to figure that out. And there will be times where you're better. And so like, I'll, I'll disclose some examples. So I know for me, yeah, yeah. I'm better in general at work than I am at home. So like if it's a business negotiation, imagine like a, with a client, that's super easy because it's easy to detach. It becomes yeah. harder when it's colleagues at work, but still mm-hmm. a little bit easier than it is at home with family and friends because those relationships are more lasting, right? Yeah. And so yeah. then I realize what is the mentality that helps me to do well in those it's going to the balcony looks different so for me in a mediation i think to myself listen this is not my conflict right Mm. and so i'm here to to be the level head if nobody if if i'm not level-headed then who will be so it's my responsibility so i can go i can pull myself back because it's not mine but then at home what i have to do is i have to say (laughs) i i always say to myself (laughs) what would i tell somebody else to do because that puts me back into that, like the role of a professional. So I'm going to be more compassionate and empathetic with my tone, but I'm going to remember, stick to the fundamentals, listen, use empathy, use the compassionate curiosity framework, whatever it is. And so I stick to that form, but I have to have like a little Kwame coach in my head, you know? So it's, it's really cool to see that that, you can get to that same destination using different methodologies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it it changes as well, right? Because it changes, you know, with our own emotional resilience, our own levels of caffeine intake or sleep, you know, nutritional arrangements, exercise, all of those things affect that moment in time. So, uh, so that, that idea of, you know, you know, preparation, you know, before we go in as, as, you know, and I know you've got a really good uh, preparation sheet on your website, you know, all of that, you know, uh, you know, all of that comes into 
your ability to go to the balcony today before your next negotiation, before your next mediation, even those 30 seconds can, and we know how it affects or, or from a neurological and biological perspective. Um, you know, f- for me, you know, I focus on my tone, right? Um, you know, you know, obviously Chris Voss talks about, you know, you know, the, the cool, you know, late night DJ voice, or my wife calls it my UN voice, right? There's that, <laughs> you know, right? Uh, so, so tonality is a big thing for, for me. Um, and, and, and I think that, that that helps me focus on where I need to be at that moment in time as well as as breathing and the last thing I, I, and it comes from work of of, um, of Susan Davis as well around emotional uh, intelligence and stuff like that from Harvard is that idea of, of your mantra, mantra right you know very quick one you know all problems want to be solved all problems want to be solved right it's something like that it works for me right and everyone as you said is different you know and and I love exploring that with individuals and going well what's yours right now and what is it on your best days this is good. Oh man, there is so much. And you know, I think at this point it's very clear we need to have you back on. <laughs> you know, we need we need to have you back on, man. This is this is too good. And uh listen, little Easter egg for the for the listeners too. I, I am promising everybody I will be in Europe, unless there's another pandemic. Okay, hopefully not. Um, let's I will be in Europe. Uh, in the summer of 2023 so hopefully we can make that happen and maybe next time we do it we could do it in person that'd be pretty cool i love that well uh, uh find yourself officially invited to belfast kwami hey i appreciate it brother well listen <laughs> before you go remind the listeners about your incredible work and how they can get in touch with you thank you man um thanks for having me on man and you can find me on linkedin andy young and on our website for mediation northern ireland at mediationni.org. um reach out folks uh, i'm always uh, always happy to chat uh, that's my job <laughs> this is great and uh, thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it thank you kwami thanks so much for having me on buddy thank you Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.